0: So we are continuing the series this morning that we started two weeks ago um, that is titled Rewards. And again, this series, as I uh, was preparing and, and looking at, at what, what are we going to teach and, and planning out messages, is uh, in my own devotions, I kept seeing this concept through the, my own scripture reading, right? Of the fact that there are rewards that are promised and, and lots of, you know, things in all these different areas of our life. And again, the theme verse for this series is Hebrews 11:6, right? where it says, God rewards those who sincerely seek him. And, and I don't know what your reaction to this idea of rewards in the Bible is, but my first reaction as reading that was, but that's the opposite of the gospel message. Right? So, and, and which, which what prompted me to dive deeper into this, this concept that we see in Scripture, because the gospel message right, is that, that our salvation is not a reward for the good things that we do. We are saved by grace through faith. In fact, that's exactly what it says in Hebrew, or Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Again, that is the gospel message, is that it's not a reward. I can't earn my own salvation, right? I am saved through the power of, of the Holy Spirit that lived through Jesus Christ as he lived a sinless life on this earth, died on a cross, rose again on the third day to pay my sin debt, right? And it is through Christ we are saved. It is by believing him, by his grace, and grace is receiving something that I cannot earn myself, right? And, and that that's how I receive my salvation, right? As a gift from God through faith, right? And that is true. Again, these rewards we see in scripture is not about our salvation. Right, but yet, it is describing what a godly life will look like after I am saved. It is the, our daily walk and journey with Christ as I continue to grow in my faith. And there are rewards to be had from becoming more godly in my life and journeying forward in my faith. Right, and so again, rewards are not for salvation. In fact, that's what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions other world religions tell you that you have to earn your way to heaven or to salvation or enlightenment or whatever they call it. But again, following Jesus says, no, I, Jesus has paid our way. It's not by works. So that we cannot boast. Again, we can't take credit for that, right? And so as we see that concept, as after I receive Christ as my Savior, right, through grace, by faith, right, then though I start this new journey. And it is a journey of godliness training in my life, of growing and moving forward in my faith, and in my, my journey with Christ, right? And transforming me into a new person. And we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, where it says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. And it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. Again, this is one of several uh, verses and passages within, within scripture that say, if you do life God's way as a follower of Jesus— Right? You will be rewarded in this life as well as in the life to come. And so as we see that, again, we've been looking at what does godliness training really look like in our life. Because there's lots of different topics that talks about in Scripture. Last week we talked about how godliness training in our work. Right? Again, not just our career work, but, uh, but all of the work we do. Right, when in, in relationship work and in, in our, our again in our jobs, in our families, in our community, all the work that we do to, and and is truly work for God. Right? We saw that last week, and now this week we're moving to the next topic that scripture talks about of what our, our daily life as a Jesus follower will look like and what are the rewards that I can expect if I do that. And today we're looking at godliness training for our money. Now I know what you're thinking, right? You're excited because on your way to church, you were thinking, I, I really hope the pastor talks about money today, nice. right? I, I, I know that's what you're thinking, right? No, it's probably not, right? In fact, you're probably instead thinking, why did the lights go out? That's probably what we're thinking. And now they, so <laughs> um, no, no, what you're probably thinking is like, oh great, right? We get to hear about money today. Okay? now, again, as we think, as we say that again, uh, for many pastors and many churches are, are afraid of this topic, okay, uh, because for exactly how you might be feeling right now, right, is you're like, oh my goodness, I don't want to hear about money, but the truth is that the Bible talks about money more than almost any other topic, okay, in fact, there are over 2,000 references to money and possessions throughout the Bible, okay, in fact, Jesus himself taught more about money than he taught about love, Okay, it's in so many parables. It's in so many teachings. Okay, and now God is love. Right? And we know that. And we, we stand firm on that. But yet God also knew that we would likely struggle more with money than we do with love. And he taught more about money than he did love. Now, with that said, there is so much in Scripture about money and about possessions and about how we should view it and handle it and and all of those things, and so there's no way I can cover all of it today with us because we all do not have that much time today. But I am going to start this morning with a kind of a crash course in God's advice about money and handling money His way as a follower of Jesus. Um, and it starts out again as we, the first foundation is the fact that we cannot buy our salvation. Our money has nothing to do with our salvation, right? It is not an act of good works, right? It is by grace through faith. Okay, and then, uh, the first passage I want to look at, comes from 2 Chronicles 31 12, okay, where it says, then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Now, if you, uh, Notice in your outline that I, this, this version that is in your outline is not the NLT version, which is the version that we I typically teach from. Okay, look, I, I put in the, the New King James Version of this verse because it uses more f- familiar uh, terms for these different kinds of giving that is described. So it talks about an offering, a tithe, and dedicated things. Okay, now these are three very different things, okay, and biblically speaking, these are our difference. Okay? and so we see, first off, the most uh, common one that we hear around church and, 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 and within the Christian culture is this word tithe. Okay? now again, it's used in this verse. It's used all throughout, a lot throughout scripture. Okay? now this word, if it's li- the literal translation of tithe is 10%. Okay, so that's where that number comes from. Okay, so literally, uh, again, the Hebrew word Tithe, the literal translation is 10%. So if you read this analysis, they faithfully brought in their offerings, their 10% and the dedicated things. Okay, now this, uh, this tithe um, is defined biblically uh, in a few different ways. It gives us, in fact, very specific guidelines on what a tithe is. Okay, first off, it is 10%, and it is 10% of our first fruits. Okay, so a tithe is supposed to come off the, the top, the first 10% of your increase okay, of whatever you bring in. Now, uh, so it's off the first fruits, okay, and also the tithe is supposed to go where you are being spiritually fed. And so now, in the Old Testament culture, okay, um, it was their crops, or their animals, or whatever their livelihood was in their barter and trade economy. Now, um, again, and they took those things. It was literally a portion of their crop, A portion of their flock, of whatever their livelihood came from, and they took it to the temple, right? That was where they were being spiritually fed. Okay, now fast forward to our culture today, okay, and and we do not live in a barter trade economy, right? We live in a money-based economy, right? And so the tithing, again, as applied to our culture today would be our money or our salary, okay, And, and most often where you're being spiritually fed is your local church, And so, uh, again, to to apply those concepts to today would be 10% of your income that is gone goes to your local church or wherever you're being spiritually fed. Now, the other uh, important aspect of a tithe is that you don't control how that money is used. It's God's money. You give it back to God. Okay, and then God determines how it's used. And most commonly, that would be through the leadership of whatever church you give it to. Okay, and so, again, that is the biblical definition of a tithe. Now, an offering okay, is given—again, uh, it's not your 10%, but anything you donate other than your tithe okay, is an offering. Again, it's, it's not a set amount, and it's also not given as many guidelines as where it's supposed to go or what it's supposed to accomplish. Okay? Um, but biblically speaking, an offering would be anything that you gave above your 10% or out of your surplus or however you decide what that is. It is very less—it's a lot less specific— um, and you have more influence over how it's used. Okay, this example of an offering would be giving to a specific fundraiser or a building campaign, okay, or to a radio station, right, or an individual or a different uh, parachurch ministry, or whatever that would be, would be uh, examples of offerings. And then the third thing that's described here in this verse is dedicated things. And that is exactly what it sounds like. It's stuff, right, not money, right? But stuff, if you donate a piano or you donate a car or whatever it would be, right? It's a, it's a thing, right, that you donate, and that would be a dedicated thing. And so we see there's these, these three different kind of categories of, of gifts or donations within Scripture. Okay, now as we, again, uh, continue to move th- through our crash course on managing money God's way, the next verse I want to read to you is Malachi 3.10. Okay, in this verse, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse for there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Okay, now this verse comes in the middle of a passage, right, where the prophet Malachi comes to Israel with a very um, hard-hitting message. Okay, and the message, right, was from God. It's like, you guys are cheating me, right? And that's why things are not going well in your life. And, and again, they kind of back forth. Andrew's like, what? How, how do we ever cheat you? And, and then he says, because you are cheating me on your tithes. Okay, and, and again, he, God is saying, bring the entire tithe. And don't cheat on it, right? Don't skimp. Okay, and again, God is telling them, right, if you fudge the numbers, then it's not a tithe. Okay, 5% is not a tithe, it's an offering. Okay, because the tithe is literally 10%. Okay, and again, God is challenging them in that. In fact, this is the only place in all of Scripture that God invites us to test him on something. Okay, which is, and it's in giving, right? It's in tithing, saying, test me on it. Okay, and if you test me, then I will return it. Okay, um, again, I'll come back. Okay, now again, I do not believe there's anything special or magical about this 10% number. I believe it's a a guideline that God gave us. It's a starting point of our giving and and of our our dedication to him. Okay, now to say that I do say that God created our hearts and he understands how much it takes to keep our hearts right. And so if he suggests 10% as a starting point for your giving, then I think that's probably the line where it starts to affect our heart. Okay, which leads then to the, the next passage Okay, I want to read to you. And again, these are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, where Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And the Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard this and scoffed at him. Now, okay, the point of Jesus' words here, and, and in many other places, like I said, is Jesus even taught over and over again about money and possessions and and our attitude towards them is that it is not actually about your money, okay? And this is a big misconception when it comes to the biblical teaching about money, because we think the biblical teaching about money is about money. It's not about money. The biblical teaching about money is about your heart, right? It's not about your money at all. God does not need your money, right? God owns everything in this world, okay? Okay? Every dollar in our economy and in every economy around the world is ultimately God's. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, is what scripture says. That he does not need your money, but he does want your heart, right? And he wants your heart to be right. And, And just as Jesus says, he wants you to serve one master, and that is God himself, not money. And as we all know, money can master our lives if we let it, right? It can control us. And just as Jesus says, right, is, uh, again, it's not about your money. It is about your heart, which leads to the first reward we see in Scripture if we handle money the way that God tells us to and teaches us to within our faith. The first reward is a heart that is focused on the right thing. Okay, and the right thing is God. Okay, we worship God. We do not worship things. We don't worship money. We don't worship anything material, right, or man-made. We worship God. Okay, and our heart needs to be focused on God. They, and, and God gives us these guidelines of our daily walk with him, right, and to keep our heart right. Okay, Jesus says in Matthew 6:21, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that's the core of the biblical teaching about money and possessions, right, is it is more about your heart than it is about any dollars and cents. Okay, it is all about your heart. And, and that is the right first reward that we will gain, right, is a heart focused on the right thing, right? And that Jesus Christ will always be the destination of our journey, right? That we will move forward in our faith and be more like him tomorrow than we are today. And then the other biblical reward in this life, given if we handle money God's way, is it seems a little bit counterintuitive, okay? But it is more money. In fact, Scripture says over and over and over again, if you handle well what you have, then God will give you more. Again, another big kind of misconception within Christianity in our world is that, is that if you are wealthy, then, um, that's not, then you can't be godly. And that's just simply not true. In fact, money is shown over and over and over again, given by God as a blessing for faithfulness throughout scripture. Okay, in fact, uh, as we see in, um, in Luke 638, it says, "'Give and you will receive. "'Your gift will return to you in full, "'pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and pour it out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Right? And he says, again, just like this is the same God that in Malachi says, test me on this. Right? And he said, in fact, we'll see. You end up with more money. Now, I will say, okay, is that the wealthiest people that I know are also the most generous people that I know. And I firmly believe the reason why they are as wealthy as they are is because they are generous, right? And they've been faithful with what God's given them and God continues to give them more money so they can be more generous. The wealthiest people I know are also the most generous people that I know. Okay, now as we, there's our crash course in money. Like I said, there's a lot more we can go into. In fact, Financial Peace University goes deeper into this. And again, you're welcome to do that, I hope you'll be a part of that. Now, with that said, is, is as a, when I was a young pastor, just starting in ministry, and, and starting in leadership, and all these things, is I gained some, I got some advice from a very wise person. Okay, now this advice I've carried with me a lot, a long time, and it, it's helped me a lot in my life, and in my ministry, and, and this, this might be some advice you might want to write down, because I'll tell you, it's not in your outline, so just, just hint, okay, you might want to write it down. This is it. Are you ready? This is the advice. Okay, when money is involved, people get weird. Okay, when money's involved, people get weird. Okay, now this, this concept, again, I've seen is, is true. It's true in the church. It's true outside the church. It's true in life in general. Okay, when, peop, when money's involved, people get weird. Okay, and that's also one of the big reasons why pastors don't want to preach about money, right? It's because as soon as you bring it up, people get weird. Okay, and you get all kinds of weird questions and weird responses and all kinds of things. And so, but this is a concept, like I said, that I've I've kept in my mind and my heart as I've gone through life. Okay, like I said, not just within my own life, but as well as within my ministry. Okay, now our passage today is I want to read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible, you don't have it with you today— there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets. You're welcome to use one of those. Yeah, you'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. And so I encourage you to open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to pick up okay, um, at the end of verse 2, okay, and then we're going to read the, the rest of chapter 6. Now, to set the context of this is this is a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, okay, to Timothy. And Timothy was a young man. Uh, apprentice of Paul's. He was teaching him how to, how to be a spiritual leader, okay? And he, uh, Timothy was serving in a church, a, a kind of a tough church environment, okay? And then um, uh, and Paul gives Timothy some advice here in, in this letter, in, in chapter 6, about how to deal with the people in his church, okay? And, and as we read this passage, keep this in mind. When, when money's involved, people get weird, here we are. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting the second part of verse 2, where it says, "'Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words.' and this stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble, their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. That no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. Now, again, I wish Paul was a little more clear, right? Because, you know, there's, I mean, he's kind of, no, he's not vague at all. Is he? I mean, he calls people out, right? And he gives Timothy some very specific advice, right? Because kind of the overarching theme of this entire passage, is this advice he gives Timothy is, hey, Timothy, by the way, when money's involved, people get weird. Don't get sucked into it. Right? Stay focused on God, stay focused on what you know is true. Continue to teach God and and the truth of who He is. Do not waver from that even when people get weird. Okay, stay true to it. okay now in the midst of this advice okay is is he gives some very specific advice when it comes to money. okay and and as we look at these passages, okay there's two passages within this, this bigger uh, advice, right, where he talks to two different groups of people regarding their money. Okay, the first group is, uh, again, in verses 9 and 10, he addresses those who aren't wealthy. Okay, those who don't have a lot of money. Now, the overall advice that comes through these verses for those who are not wealthy, okay, is to realize that money isn't the answer to your problems. Okay, now whether you have money or you don't have money, we all have problems. Okay, but especially when you don't have money, it is tempting to, to buy the lie that money will solve all of your problems. But again, he's telling them, he's like, hey, if you don't have money, don't believe that. Money will not solve all of your problems. In fact, found money or lots of money coming into people's lives unexpectedly actually creates more problems. It does not solve them. In fact, when we look at our culture, and we look at that, we, uh, again, we understand that, because it it rings true all of the time, right? Again, in these verses, right, literally in verse 9, he says, for people who long to be rich, okay, verse 10, he uses the phrase, those who are craving money, okay? Now, again, one of the, the best ways we see that happen in our culture is the lottery. Again, the lottery, right, puts a whole bunch of money into somebody's life, unexpectedly, really quickly, and they think, all of my problems are solved, right? Because I now have these millions of dollars. Okay, but if you step back from a moment from that and look at the statistics of lottery winners, in fact, you're actually better off if you don't win the lottery, if you follow the statistics of people's lives after they win. In fact, 70% of lottery winners in America end up completely broke and worse off than they were before they won, 70%. In fact, many of them get to that point even within months or a few years of winning. In fact, if, if, I mean, just Google it if you don't believe me. Like, again, I literally, I Googled it last night, and there's this article after article of what lottery winners saying, I wish I never won because my life is, is worse now than it was before. Okay, money will not solve your problems. In fact, money found money, quick money, even especially like that in the lottery, will actually probably make your life worse, statistically. Okay, money will not solve all your problems. Okay, now with that in mind, okay, um, again, Paul goes into and gives us some reasons why that is true, that money will actually bring you more problems. Okay, and he gives two things for those who long for money. Okay, the first thing he tells people who long for money is this. In verse 9, he says that money will increase your temptation. If you long for money, it will increase your temptation. He says you will be tempted more if you long for money than if you don't. Okay, now again, we can look at our culture and we know there are all kinds of ways that you can get rich in our culture. Some of them you can get rich even very quickly, right? But they're not good. Right. In fact, the term "get rich quick scheme" came about because it's exactly that. It's a scheme. It's a scam. It is not good. Okay. And, and we can be tempted if we long for more money. There's all kinds of voices in our culture saying, "This is how you can get money. Just you know, pay me this money, and I'll make you rich." And it's like, well, why? Then why do you need my money? If you're rich, it works. Anyway, there. Right. It's a scheme. It's a scam. Right, we know that, and yet we're tempted towards it. Right, when we long for money, yet not just long for money, but yet just temptation in general. It says you will be more tempted if you long for money. Right, again, and then he goes on in verse ten. Right, and the second thing he says is that, and this is the real reason why it brings you more problems, is because it will pull you away from your faith. Right? and it, if if at the very least, it's a huge distraction. Right now, I understand, and again, I've, I, I've worked with people and, and, and understand, because I've, I've taught financial peace, I've, I have you know, I've friends, and in our culture, like, again, we, we really struggle with money, which is why, again, financial peace is such an important thing. But again, I understand not having money, right, um, um, becomes a, a huge distraction. I mean, from debt collectors calling and, and wondering how bills are going to get paid and, and all of these kinds of things, it, it's a huge distraction no matter what. Yeah, and it is, and yet, though, it will... Um, it'll dominate your time, and it will dominate your focus. If you're just constantly longing for a quick answer, right, and longing to get out, as we long for money, it will pull you away from everything in your life, including your faith. Right, and again, that's why he said in the video, even Dave Ramsey said in there, the financial piece, it will not just affect your money, it'll affect, it'll change your life. Right? It'll affect every aspect of your life. It'll make your marriage better, it'll make you more happy at work, it'll make, you know, your family life better, all, all of these things, right, because it is a huge distraction okay and it will pull you away from your faith okay and then so again he says like don't long for money right in that because money is not the answer to your problems god is the answer to your problems right and so focus on that don't stray from that and that was the core of his again advice to timothy right people will get weird when it comes to money don't fall into that trap right? And do not long for it yourself, okay? God will take care of you, okay? And then later in the passage in verses 17 through 19, okay, is um, he then gives advice to those who are wealthy, who have money, okay? Now, as we see this advice, right, it might be easy for us to sit back and be like, well, I can ignore that because I'm not wealthy, Again, it's easy for us to say that. And, you know, so many times, right, we're tempted. Again, that's part of the temptation is to ignore the parts of the Bible, right, that that don't apply to me. Well, the fact is, I mean, pretty much all of Scripture applies to you. Okay, but especially when it comes to this, when we look at the world scale of wealth in our world, okay, is that, again, we all need to listen to this advice. And truthfully, as we see when we go through it, it's not, this advice is not just about money. I mean, this advice applies to any area of your life. Okay, but especially when it comes to those who are wealthy. Okay, according to a 2018 study, to be in the top 1% of wage earners in this world, you need to have a household annual income of $32,400. $32,400 annual household income to be in the top 1% of wage earners in our world. You realize that's, that's barely above the poverty line in our American culture. Okay, which means, right, if you make a combined household annual income of 32000 or more, you are in the top 1% in the world of wage earners, which means you are wealthy according to the world standard. Now, I understand that's not in our culture, right, but that is in the world, okay, in the bigger picture of the world. Okay, now the average net worth of an American, okay, is $403,974 dollars. Okay, which is, ranks us 25th in the world. Okay, now the reason, now again, we are in the top 1% of wage earners. Okay, but yet yeah, our net worth for an average American, right, is, is 25th. And there's one reason why that's true. And that is because Americans carry more debt than any other culture in the entire world. Right, and to your net worth is what you own minus what you owe. And the fact that we carry in our culture, we carry so much debt that it pulls us from the top two or three wage earning countries to 25th in net worth, right? That's a big problem. Okay. And I think as we realize that, right, again, we just look at our own government and realize that's the example they set for us, right? Again, our national debt is is ginormous, right? In fact, we owe money to, I don't know how many countries, right? But Uh, Again, it's it's, it's out of control. Okay, now as we look at that, the average net worth of a person who lives in India is $7,024. Okay, the average net worth of a person who lives in Africa is $4,138. Okay, when you compare our lives to the lives of any other culture in the world, we are extremely wealthy. Okay, which means we need to pay attention to this advice. Right? And again, most of us in this room are very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Okay? And as we realize that, then we must heed his advice Right, of how do I live a godly life as a wealthy person. Okay? Now, number one is he tells us in verse 17 to not be proud. Don't be proud. Like, don't be proud. And now, again, like I said, in, in our world, in our, in our culture, right, again, if you make $32,000 a year, right, again, you're not wealthy right, in our culture, but around the world you are, right? But in the midst of that, right, is that wealth comes with a lot of perks in this world, okay? And even if that is your wage, right, even in our culture, you still have a lot of perks in this world, as, again, compared to the standard of living around our world, right? Is that we can, and, and our money and our possessions can be a source of pride. And Paul, again, Paul tells them, don't be proud about what you have, Okay, which leads into the next bit of advice in the, the, the second part of verse 17. He says, not only don't be proud about, about what you have, but then the next thing is put your trust in God, not in your money. Okay, because that is where your trust lies. Again, he's, as he says in the verse, right, your money is so insecure. It's unstable. Again, if you, if you look at your stock portfolio in the last few months, you understand how volatile our money can be. Right? And yet, when you look at that, again, don't put your trust in your money. Put your trust in God. That's where your trust should lie. Right? And trust, again, and the more we trust in God, the less proud we are, by the way. Right? Because the more we trust in God, the more we realize how much we need God. Right? But ultimately, God is our provider, Right, not our money, not our world. Everything that we have or possess is God's. Right? We are just managers of his stuff. And then keeping that in mind, then he builds that into the next thing that he tells us and advice for us in verse 18, when he says to use your money to do good. Okay, use your money to do good. Now, with this of advice, we need to understand that money is amoral. Okay, it is not evil. It is not good. Money itself is amoral. Okay, but yet money will reveal the true character of whoever has it. Right? see, money can be used for evil and money can be used for good, right? but money itself is amoral. Right? Which leads us to, again, in this passage, is one of the most commonly misquoted verses in all of Scripture, especially about money. Okay? And that is chapter 6, verse 10, right? where he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay? And it's misquoted as saying that, that money is the root of all evil, and that's not what it says. Again, it's not about money at all. It's actually about your heart, right? The love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil, which means you can use your money to do evil. And Paul says, no, use it for good, right? And the other thing he says here is to use your money. He says, don't, don't hoard it for yourself, but use it. And again, he, and we need to be wise with our money, right? And that's one of the things that financial peace does is it teaches us how, what the proper balances are, as far as how much I should save, how much I should spend, and how much I should give. Right? And and it it balances those things out. But we need to use our money, right? And be wise with it and use it, and use it for good. Okay? A big part of of using our money, according to the Bible, is to give it away. And which leads then to the fourth bit of advice that Paul gives us, and that is to be generous. Right? To be generous. Now, Again, he says this is not just about, specifically about money. In fact, in verse 18, he says to be generous with your time, right? As he says, to be rich in good works, right? Be generous with everything in our life, as well as with our money. As he says, to be, always be ready to share with those in need. And again, yet be wise in how you do that, right? Follow God's example, right, of, of, of saving, right? And of spending and providing for our own families and all of the things that it tells us to do, but always be ready to share and be generous in your life. And so with, if we do this, there are two rewards that are promised for us, other than the ones we already looked at, but two rewards he gives us in this passage. The first reward is contentment. So he says, if you do these things, then contentment is a reward that you will gain in this life. Again, in verse 6, he tells us, he says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Again, that has nothing to do with your bank account balance, right? But it has everything to do with your heart and your perspective on life, right? Content means that I'm not longing for more, right? Because the truth is that idea that that put in your heart, right? Longing for more, again, has nothing to do with your bank balance, right? Because if you're not content, it doesn't matter how much you have, you will always need more, right? But if you can find contentment, right, and being satisfied in what we have and what God has provided, and using it, doing these things, again, that Paul tells us to do, we will find contentment, right, godliness with contentment is better better than actual physical dollars wealth, is what he's saying, and then the next one here, the other reward, reward number two, okay, is you will experience true life, and you will experience true life, okay, it's in verse 19, he says, by doing this, They'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Said, so if you do this, again, then your life will not be bound by your dollars, right? Is that you will find true contentment in life. You'll find, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction in life. And, and again, you will, you will find true life and not be enslaved by your money or by anything that you do if you are a good steward of everything in your life. Okay, again, there are these rewards that are promised to us if we handle our money the way that God tells us to. Which leads me then to my final thought this morning, which are the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verses 28 and 29. Okay, where he says, "'And then he ordered, take the money from his ser- this servant "'and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. "'To those who use well what they're given, "'even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. "'But from those who do nothing, "'even what they have will be taken away.'" Again, this idea of money and how we manage it and what we donate and what we do or don't do is not about our salvation, our salvation is a free gift from God, through grace, by faith. It has nothing to do with our money. But yet, as a follower of Jesus, once I receive him as my savior and I start my journey of faith and grow to him, then he has a lot to say about the way we should manage our money, right? And again, find true contentment and true life through that. So my hope today is that when you've received Christ as your Savior, right, that has nothing to do with your money, right, and then my hope is that you will continue to honor him with everything you have, including your money from that point forward. God, that's our prayer this morning, God, that we will bow our life, Lord, at your feet. God, and a part of that, Lord, we give you all of our life, Lord, not just our money, God, but our heart. And Lord, everything that we have, God, is yours, and we acknowledge that. Lord, and pray that, Lord, you would continue to guide us in our life and in our walk with you. God, that we would bring glory to you through everything that we do, Lord, through every aspect of our life. And God, as we go this week, I pray, Lord, that we would continue to move forward in our faith. God, we would grow in you. God, we would be more godly and more like you tomorrow than we are today. God, as a follower of Jesus, Lord, we desire, God, to make you smile and to make you happy. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, continue to guide all those, Lord, and open your, their hearts and minds to, the, to you, God, who don't know you, who are not saved. And God, I pray, Lord, that our lives, whether it's through our money or anything that we do, God, would point them to you. God, guide us as we go this week, Lord, as we shine your light and your love in this world. We give you the praise and the glory. Guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.